0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Blazers Edge Podcast. I am your host, Danny Mering. I am Joan Boy, the one, the only, the unassailable, unflappable, most lovable guy on Twitter. N'Kaius rhymes with Tobias Duncan, the uh, a contributor, lead writer, analyst, all of the things you associate with good writing, and future podcaster Duncan. I think that's the, probably the longest intro you're ever gonna have. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's up there. That is definitely up there.
0: What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I am doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? It's another day in paradise. Uh Rip City's pretty jacked right now because they they did actual things. They have uh, used their MLE uh, on a guy that we will talk about that you were uh very familiar with in Derrick Jones Jr. They have made a trade for Robert Covington. they have re-signed Carmelo Anthony on the vet minimum, they have brought Rodney Hood back with his bird rights at a little over $10 million. Um, they have done a lot of things. Oh, and, let, and we're recording this Sunday afternoon. They have also signed uh, to a vet minimum contract, uh, Harry Giles, a one-time Portland draft pick in 2017. So they have uh, they've added to the front court to say the least, but let's start with the guy that you're the most familiar with. When you saw Derek Jones Jr., I, I saw the tweet. I saw the tweet. <laughs> when you saw Derek Jones Jr. got the full MLE to come to Portland, what was your initial
1: thought? My initial thought, honestly, was good for him just because of his journey um, starting out in Phoenix, not really getting much playing time, getting weighed by Phoenix, which at the time that he was weighed by Phoenix, just is like, man, if you get cut from that organization with all, <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff they're dealing with from the front office, the roster being a mess around Devin Booker, if you can't carve out a role there, then it's just looking kind of tough for you but really battled, really carved out a role for himself in Miami as a versatile defender, as a rim runner, transition threat. And, um, you know, I had my qualms about his game, but Derek Jones Jr. the person, he's, he's fantastic. Soft-spoken, but just a genuine dude. Um, very quiet guy, funny guy, but, you know, just just happy for him in general for cashing out after a wild journey early in his career. So here on this podcast, we are always fans of team hashtag
0: get the bag. Uh, Mm. So in that regard, we're, we're always happy. Um, The flip side of that is we always want, especially in a small market, we want guys who are going to outperform their value. It's hard to get guys out here to the frontier. Um, Mm. And so there's often a premium paid, especially in free agency, not as much so in trades, but definitely in free agency. So I'm looking at this as an upside deal now, uh, for those listening, you guys won't be able to see this. I'll have this linked in the podcast for a visual aid. Guys, I sent you a screenshot from StatHead slash basketball reference of two different players. One of them is Derek Jones Jr. through his first three years mm-hmm. in the league. Do you have any clue as to who the other player is?
1: Uh, that I do not, know. <laughs> I could pick out Derek's pretty easily, but I I, I did not know who the other player was.
0: Okay, so now the other guy that's on this list, would you say that they are very similar in their production metrics? Um, They do look pretty close, yeah. Okay, so the other one, and there's a reason why I I compared him to this guy because it's somebody Portland Trailblazers fans should be very familiar with. It's Maurice Harkless. Ooh. And when I look at Derek Jones Jr., I see a guy who plays like motivated, Maurice Harkless. Because the problem with Maurice Harkless was always, Mm -hmm. it wasn't that he was a bad player. It was, there was times he just didn't care. And when I look at Derek Jones Jr., I don't see a guy that doesn't care. I see a guy that wants, that is thirsty, he wants to get after it. And I see him optimizing himself as being motivated Moe Harkless. They are, they're both subpar shooters. We'll talk about Derek shooting here in a little bit. But do you think he could be that backside cutter, Coming out of the corner, getting transition, getting passing lanes. Can you see him
1: being that kind of a glue guy? Yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh, I think a lot of his value is going to be derived on the defensive end. Um, don't think he is as strong as Mo Harkless mm-hmm. was and is. So that's going to limit the kind of guys you can put on him. Like, I, I wouldn't put him on like power wings. But if you need him to kind of slither around screens and stay, stay with guys and try to contest from behind, get some um, blocks from behind, um, if you want him, you know, just playing off ball against a weaker guy, just kind of rolling the passing lanes. If you want to play zone at all, um, don't think that's really Terry Stotts' mo. But in exposure, throws out zone basically every other possession. <laughs> it felt like at times last year. But if you want a guy at the top of your zone, there Jones Jr. is a guy. So I think if you just need, if you need a guy just to fill the gaps defensively, he can definitely do that for you.
0: Okay, you kind of alluded to it there with who he can cover. Now, if you look at the Miami Heat, they're they're a little bit strange in the sense in the same way that Houston is not that they're three and layup, you know, exclusive, but how they cover the coverages that they go into. I'd put them in this. Th- there's three teams that I kind of call this ubiquitous coverages that they'll go into Houston, uh, Miami, and Toronto. Now they all go about it in very different ways, but how they utilize personnel I think are, are similar mm-hmm. in that they try to put individual defenders in their best position to succeed, as opposed to a, gen- a general team scheme. When you look at, at, at Derek, what do you see him being his primary role in Portland? Do you see him being a big two, a normal three, sliding up to the four every now and then? Considering all the moves that Portland's made, where do you think he finds his niche positionally so much so in this positionless NBA now?
1: Um, positionally, I think he's going to be a three for you. He could definitely defend some twos just because of the length that he has. And generally, you're going to have weaker players at the two than you would at the three or the four. So I think you're going to be looking at him defending more threes and twos in Portland.
0: So Portland has added quite a bit of uh, size uh, this off season uh, with mm. Covington, with bringing back Carmelo, uh, and I forgot earlier to mention Anna Kanter, uh, Giles. I mean, they, they're they're getting bigger. I have often called this Portland team over the last couple of years, the least athletic team in the NBA. And I don't think that's any stretch of the imagination. They were abysmal in transition. Uh, They weren't very good at being able to be switchable up and down the lineup. Do you think Derek in particular gives them the chance, obviously to be more athletic, but to be more switchable, to be more flexible with their lineups, to be able to be more aggressive in passing lanes, to do things basically that they have, not been able to do essentially for the last five years.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely room for you to be a little bit more aggressive defensively. Um, even if Portly wants to stick with their drop scheme, if you have him defending a weaker perimeter player, or if you're going against a team that that um, profiles smaller, they're not a post threat, you can hide, play Derek at the four. If you want to play your bigs up and pick and roll, you can because Derek is just, he's all arms and legs and he can um, <laughs> block some shots as a weak side protector there. And again, if you can turn, you can turn teams over with him playing the passing lanes or him rotating over blocking shots. If you get out, get out a run. Uh, if you throw the ball anywhere within the first six or seven rows of the arena, he can get up there and get it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we saw that against Toronto. But it, he did. We
0: that's it's a little reminiscent of the Blake Griffin, you know, air quotes dunk. But mm-hmm. where he caught that lob from Bam. And I'll, I'll probably link this uh, video in, in the uh, in the post just so everybody can see this. It's one of the most obscene catches and finishes I've ever seen. He, he catches it basically a step into the paint, midair, and still somehow manages to throw it down. And that's the kind of athleticism Portland has not had an athlete like this in twenty years. Legitimately, mm. I, I just and I, I'm kind of gushing over him because I love the fact that they have a guy who can get them easy points. He's very good. Uh, as you mentioned, as far as getting into passing lanes, getting deflections, you add Rocco in there, who's elite in that regard. You put those two guys in there. You have an obscene, absurd, whatever adjective you want to use amount of length that can disrupt a lot of uh, offenses and get out in transition. Now, as much as we're gushing over him, what are the drawbacks of a Derek Jones jr? What is going to keep him off the floor or not optimize him?
1: Um, first and foremost, actually, I wouldn't even say it's first and foremost. The easy thing to point out is the shot. Mm-hmm. Um, very inconsistent. He's not going to shoot off movement at all. He's not going to shoot above the brakes. You're going to have to hope he's hot from the corners. He was not good from the corners at all last year. Mm-hmm. He he was fine the year before, if I remember correctly. I don't have those numbers in front of me right now. But the corner jumper is what you need from him. He just doesn't have it right now. The more pressing issue is that he cannot dribble at all. <laughs> there There is... it's. It's why he's he was basically a four slash really undersized five for Miami on that. The BQ rim running like five. Two. Yeah. That's, what, that's basically what they had to operate is because there there are no ball skills whatsoever. Uh, just a lot of traveling violations when he tries to attack a closeout. It always takes a step before the dribble. Just one of those things. Like he, he's not a wing in that aspect. And that's honestly the biggest uh, hindrance of his game. If he was a guy that could take a dribble or two off of a closeout and then he could just, you know, dunk over people he would be okay if he could if he could do that or have the corner jumper in his bag then he would be a playoff rotation forward but the fact he doesn't have either of those things right now severely caps his ceiling offensively so when you look at him do you have faith or do you have
0: belief that he can add either of those not necessarily to a you know a plus level but a functional level when you look at his skill set his development pattern what you saw from him in Miami and how kind of Portland has been with, with the young guys. Do you think that that's something he can viably add to him to make him self more useful in those situations and not be a guy that you kind of have to pull to the side, come crunch time or come playoff time?
1: Uh, I want to be careful not to be overly negative because he is still ridiculous. He's still very, very, very young. Mm-hmm. And he he's grown leaps and bounds since he's entered the league. So you don't want to put that cap on him. But, like, I don't see the ball handling getting much better at all. Like, it's just as, – as much as it is, as a positive for him to have the arms that he does and he can just kind of flip them wherever and get deflections and blocks and catch lobs. It really hinders his handle. It just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like his arms do what his brain tells him to do. he too much too much <laughs> nerves between his fingertips and his brain. Yeah, there's just a <laughs> lot going on there that the footwork is just bad. So I don't think the dribbling comes there. If you're going to make a bet, it's that he becomes like a 35-ish percent shooter from the corners.
0: That's more in line it, with what I
1: was thinking. Yeah, like, and that still isn't a good mark for the corners particularly, but you have to have – that has to be the baseline there. If he gets mm-hmm. the 35%, you can at least make the argument that he's playable because – if you're closing games with him because of his defense, that means Dame's on the floor. That means CJ's on the floor, which means you have shooting and ball and creation there. So you don't have to worry about him having to do that. You're probably gonna have a guy like Nurk on the floor. So you you have a rebound, you have a, a primary rim protector. So he can just kind of wreak havoc defensively and you hope he spots up and knocks down a three if it comes down to it.
0: But and that's that's kind of what I was thinking and that he could fill the role similar to Harkless. And yes, you can, you can cheat off of him in the corner, um, if Nurkic's three-point shot is for real, or if Nurkic's mid-range shot is consistent, you could see, uh, i could, for me at least, I could very easily see a Dame-CJ lineup or a Dame-Trent Jr. or a C.J. Trent Jr. lineup where you've got plus shooters on the floor mm-hmm. that you have to worry about, that their gravity is so real that you have to be concerned with them at all times. You put Nurk in the middle of the floor, or you've got a guy like Covington and Hood out there. So you've got three and a half plus shooters uh, a real rim runner, a secondary creator in Nurkic, where if you keep all those guys essentially above the free throw line, you could put Derek in the dunker spot. Right. Where you you could cheat a little bit if you don't trust that three, or you can park him in that three and you overload a side and put him on the weak side and allow him to be that backdoor cutter mm-hmm. that, I mean, Nurk, Nurk is a, it's easy to say a plus passer from especially from a stationary position he's still not perfect as a short roll guy but as a stationary position horn stuff like that um, mm-hmm. at the free throw line he's elite and I could very easily just see him putting that ball anywhere near six feet of the rim and saying mm-hmm. go get it right and that unlocks something Portland really hasn't had I, Harkless did it every now and then Aminu did it every now and then but they weren't guys who willingly did that do you think Derek is a guy that even if he's not getting the touches, is he still gonna make that cut? Is he still gonna make that run through?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, activity is not gonna be an issue for him at all. Like he he's go he's going to, if you want him to spot up, he'll do that. But I mean, he also has plenty of experience operating as kind of that backdoor cutter or just a cutter in general when Miami goes to like their post split stuff. Um, he obviously had those cutting instincts when they used him as the role man. So I don't I don't think that's going to be an issue for him at all if that's the role they put him in. Do you think that they're coming to Portland up op
0: or opens up anything new in his bag or puts him in a position to succeed in areas that maybe he wouldn't have in Miami?
1: Um, I don't think it would be a new role in particular. I do think if he does find himself in some lineups with Dame and or CJ, but particularly Dame, he's never played with a pull-up threat like that. Mm-hmm. So I think if you, if you extend those pick and rolls the way Portland does with Dame, just kind of pulling from 30, 35 feet now, um, there isn't a great screen setter, but he slips very quickly, and he's a quick jumper as well. So maybe you see some short roll opportunities for him. I'm a little fuzzy on it just because of the ball handling, but yep. just because of his leaping ability, if it, if he short rolls, he catches it. You know, if one dribble gets him to the dotted line, he can dump from there. There's so actually
0: if- a clip, and then I, I was gonna I was gonna bring up, but I'll probably end up again putting this one in the link or or, or, or in post production. You know what? In fact, I'm going to ask you about this one right now because because you brought this up. This is perfect. In the matchup, January 5th, Mello and Derek Jones Jr. kind of went at it on back to back possessions. Mello bullied Derek on the block, got him a little up and under. But as you said, I I want to say it was none that, that through the pass. He was at about twenty seven, twenty eight. 28. and brought a little bit of a trap But Mello got caught in between. Mm-hmm. uh closing out to the corner and pointing to the guy on the roll who was Derek Jones Jr. who caught it at the free throw line and baptized Mello to another dimension. <laughs> so I think that it highlights exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Maybe he gives up a little bit on the big body side, but he can get it back if he catches in space basically within twelve feet.
1: Yeah. yeah he's, because, he is just a he's a ninety nine point nine nine percentile athlete. Lately. Yes. It's of certain things that he can do in space but I say I still worry about maybe the ball handling or the passing. but if you get him a, a clean catch in space, he can load up quickly, he can load up high. So here's the thing
0: the last thing I'll ask about about Derek specifically because he's such an elite athlete and because his catch radius is so insane I mean he's, he's Calvin Johnson of the NBA. You put it mm. anywhere near he's gonna just grab it. How good are his hands? Is he a guy that if you just put it near, he's okay? Or does it have to be in the pocket kind of on the run? Can he pick it up down on his knees? Can he catch it up high? Can he catch it behind him consistently? Like, is it? Because if there's one knock that I have against Damian Lillard, and this is the only one, it's that he's maybe the worst lob passing elite point guard in NBA history. (laughs) I I don't know what it is because he's such a pinpoint precision passer with everything else. Mm. He misses guys on lobs and it's, it's such a it's such a horrible thing because Portland had Andre Miller before him, who's arguably mm. the greatest lob passer in NBA history. So the contrast is just so stark. <laughs> right, right. So I worry that Portland might not optimize Derek solely because they haven't had a consistent lob passer. Nurkic is legitimately their best lob passer right now. So I can see him operating in that area, which kind of takes away from Derek's ability to catch. In the paint, so to speak, and take that one step and dunk on anybody. So, mm. are are Derek's hands good enough
1: to just kind of catch it anywhere and finish? Yeah, yeah, he has good hands. I don't think that's going to be much of an issue. Uh, I a, don't. That's a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if if that's your issue with Dame, like Derrick Jones Jr. is the one guy that you want to pair with him because it, it just it just doesn't matter. Just put it in his radius. Because I mean, obviously Hassan Whiteside was
0: in Portland last year, and Whiteside's a lob threat too. But there wasn't a whole ton of lobs thrown Whiteside's way. It's just, it's not something that Portland generally does. Now, Nurk, Nurk's flashy. Nurk likes to find that pocket bounce pass. He likes to find that backdoor lob. He likes to find pretty much anywhere to put that ball. Dame, I'm a little, little less certain of. But we'll kind of wrap up on Derek here. I want to get your thoughts on the Blazers offseason so far as a whole. We've talked about Derek Jones Jr. So let's move to the biggest addition, uh, the surprising addition. Shout out James Harden for setting Houston on fire and making Robert Covington available. Because uh, without James really signaling some weird stuff, Covington's not available, right? Right. So Portland swoops in. They, they're they moving for Aaron Gordon. The Magic want too much. Portland backs out and says, okay, Covington's available. Ariza, this year's first and next year's first. Lottery protected next year, by the way which, well done. Yeah. How do you like the addition of Robert Covington to this team, and would you see him more as a three or more as a four in Portland?
1: Uh, Well, first, I think it's a fantastic addition, uh, especially with the picks that they gave up. Like, what was it, 16 this year?
0: 16 this year and lottery protected next year, so 15 or worse.
1: Yeah, like I, I, I think you do that 10 out of 10 times. I think that's a great fit, particularly for their defense. Just having a guy that can cover that much space, Mm -hmm. I think really helps, especially when Portland does decide. I mean, it just gives them the ability to get more aggressive on pick and roll if they want to. I think that's going to be huge for them.
0: Oh, you mean no more drop coverage every single play? (laughs) (laughs) It works great the regular season, man. And I know some people beat Stotts over the head with it, but if you don't have the – here, let me get it from somebody else's ears or somebody else's mouth here. I have said this for years. The Blazers will change up the defensive coverage when they have the personnel to change up the defensive coverage. If you had Portland's def- or, uh, personnel last year, would you have done anything other than drop coverage?
1: No, can't say that I would. <laughs> <no. laughs>
0: I've tried to communicate that so many different times. It's, it's a little frustrating. It's like, guys, you have to have the personnel to get aggressive. Nick Nurse is, is aggressive because he has O.G. Ananobi. He has Pascal Siakam. He has Kyle Lowry. He has even a Fred Van Vliet who, while giving up size, is a very, very heady player who can dig into passing lanes and, and time well. You have mm-hmm. a Serge Ibaka. You have a Marc Gasol. You've got plus defenders everywhere. Portland doesn't, didn't have a plus defender healthy last year. <laughs> not one. Right. Collins was out the whole year. Well, it's not true. Gary Trent Jr. is a plus defender. I, I, I should take that back. But Gary was was not looked at as that guy coming into the season, so adding a guy like Covington. Sorry to derail that. It's, it's something that drives me crazy. <laughs>
1: no, you're good. You. Good. When you
0: add a Covington, you add a Derek Jones Jr. Do you think that Portland gets more aggressive this year?
1: I think so. Like, I, like as you mentioned, I think the personnel definitely dictated how aggressive Portland wanted to be defensively. I mean, if you don't have if you don't have rangy wings, if you don't have a wild weeks out rim protector. If you don't have bigs that can move in space, then you're kind of limited to what you can do. And if your point of attack defenders are Dame, who has improved, but he still isn't an elite guy. And CJ McCollum, who has improved, but definitely isn't an elite guy. I mean, there's only only so much you can do. So I think adding those wings in there, adding Robert Covington, who, you know, he's been in the drop scheme before. He's been in a more aggressive scheme before. He just came from Houston where they switched everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's operated as the weak side rim protector. So he, he can do a little bit of everything. Derrick Jones Jr., you know, he's operated in Miami's drop. He's been a weak side run protector when they get more aggressive, when they trap things. He's been at the top of the zone. He's been at the bottom of the zone. So when you have guys that not only have the tools to do that, they've also played in multiple schemes like that. It makes it easier for you to adjust on the fly like that. So I, I do think Portland's going to be able to be a little bit more aggressive defensively this year.
0: Is Covington going to be the guy that kind of unlocks Portland in, in the sense that I have qualified Covington as a floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser. Mm. And I think that's a good thing in a sense, but they still need something else to really buoy them up a little bit higher. Do you think he can be a guy who is a ceiling raiser or do you see him more as a floor raising kind of guy?
1: Um, I think he's, a ceiling raiser in the sense of what he can do for their defense. Um, just, I mean, we were just talking about how Portland now has the ability to be a little bit more aggressive defensively. if They want to, um, again, if they get into a situation where they want to trap a hot ball handler, they can do that and trust that Robert Covington is going to rotate over, you know, play, play to get some blocks, get some steals, and then they can get out and run and then transition. So I think he lifts them in that way. Um, he is also a floor raiser, just at a minimum, You know, he's not an elite wing stopper. He's better off ball than on ball defensively. Mm -hmm. But he is a guy that you can credibly throw on good wings and be fine. Which is one
0: more than Portland's had the last time. (laughs) So, you you, got to love it. If it's an RPG, it's a definite plus one to wing stopper when it was at zero. So, um, when you look at the guys Portland has added, obviously the Lakers are are the team. They're they're, they're the threat. And they're big. They're big as hell. Mm Mm-hmm. Portland is clearly gone with, okay, we can go big, which I think teams honestly should have done five years ago. Teams that mm-hmm. tried to copy the Warriors were, it was a fool's error. You can't copy three to four Hall of Famers. You can't mm-hmm. copy the two, maybe three or, or two of the three, four best shooters of all time. The, maybe the best isolation scorer of all time and the best defender of a generation in the NBA. You can't replicate that model. But what yeah. you could do was you could beat them to death with size. That was mm-hmm. the one thing that seemed to slow the Warriors down from time to time. Now, we never really saw it happen because nobody really wanted to risk it. Mm-hmm. But in the matchups that Portland had with them when Nurkic was healthy, and again, these are regular season meetings. It's different. Nurkic went nuts and absolutely hammered them regularly. Mm-hmm. And in those games, the Warriors just didn't have an answer for that. So you're seeing the league maybe take a little bit of a pivot to, to more bigs again, which makes sense because, guess what, those are a lot more readily available than Hall of Famers, surprisingly, <laughs> right? So you look at what Portland has done. You add Cantor, who plays very much, very similarly to Nurkic. When, when the 18-19 the, the season before Nurkic went down, the the plan was they would just – run twenty eight minutes of Yusuf Nurkic then twenty-eight minutes of a Cantor, and good luck having a center who could sit there and handle that pick and roll all night long. It was mm. just we're gonna beat the your guards to death with screens and come fourth quarter. They're not gonna be good, they're not gonna be, you know, feeling good enough in the legs to yeah. handle this. So they're matching up with the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets. That's that's their competition out in the West and really in the league. Do you think that this commitment to the big bodies 6'7 Covington, 6'7, six, 6'8, six, Derek Jones Jr., 6'10, Ennis Cantor, seven foot Yusuf Nurkic, 6'10, Harry Giles, 6'8, six, 6'9, six, Carmelo Anthony. Is this enough size now to compete with to be a top four team in the
1: West? To be top four in the West? Uh, yeah, I can definitely see it if they stay healthy. That's um, that's always the key. <laughs> that's gonna be the big thing because Portland dealt with quite a bit last year. Mm-hmm. But if, if they can stay healthy, I mean, there there's just enough pure size there. And then there's a diversity of skill set there. You know, Derrick Jones, Jr., more transition guy, more defense guy. Um, Mel Lowe, I'm sure we're going to talk about him a little deeper <laughs> coming up. But, you know, is, is a guy that can shoot and can get you a bucket. Um, you know, Enos Kanter, post-threat. Uh, you know, just, just a lot of different guys that can do a lot of different things. And once you get into a playoff setting, that's when – that's when it becomes important to be able to mix and match. Like, okay, in this matchup, this is where they have a weakness. We can put this, we plug this guy in for 8, 12, 14 minutes, and this is where his value lies. And maybe we bench this guy and we save him for the next round if we get there. So I think Portland has done a great job of shoring up their wings, you know, getting more defense in there, which is what they needed, but also bringing – not only not only adding size, but adding size with different skill sets so they'll, they can mix and match in playoff matchups
0: it kind of rolls me back. I I asked this question, but I buried it in a stupidly long lead up. When you look at a guy like Covington and you look at this lineup that Portland has, let's say everybody's healthy. I know there's a little bit of confusion as to Zach Collins' current status as of uh, last night uh, for, if you're not aware, Uh, Jason Quick here of The Athletic kind of profile that Collins is on track, but on track for what? Um, (laughs) We don't really know. Um, So, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not ready to go to start the season, but say everybody's healthy. What do you think with all the moves they made? What do you see the, the, the starting lineup kind of looking like obviously Dame CJ Nurker set, mm-hmm. but they brought back hood. They, they pick up Covington. They pick up Derek Jones, Jr. They've got Zach Collins. They've got Carmelo Anthony. They've got Harry Giles. What do you think is right as it sits right now is kind of like the optimal uh, starting five that you're going to throw out there. If you're Portland.
1: Uh Maybe a little small, but I, I really like Nurk at the Rim Protector. So I would probably go Gary Trent Jr. at the three and then Roko at the four. Oh, going Trent Jr. over Hood. I like it. I am you still have some creation with Hood off the bench there. Um depending on what how they stack. They be important typically staggers their guards anyway. They're gonna have one of Dame or yeah. CJ on the court at all times. So from there off the bench, you know, Melo can give you give you a bucket off the bench, Rodney Hood can give you a bucket off the bench um depending on which center they want to play you know Nurk. <laughs> they, <laughs> they do not have a shortage of centers now
0: they've got <laughs> Nurk. they've got canner they've got collins they've got giles they can throw some bigs out on the floor at the
1: five right 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 so you I mean i think that bench unit can still be pretty good you know again you're staggering one of dame or cj and then you have a bunch of guys that can shoot so i think the bench can hold water um but yeah, I would go, it, it seems a little small, but I mean, you get a really strong on-ball defender in Gary Trent Jr. You get a ridiculous help side defender in Robert Covington. You know, Nurk can protect the rim. And offensively, I mean, that's four shooters in Nurk rolling into space. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to trap Dave and pick and roll, good luck to you.
0: Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I no, I, honestly, I, I
0: think that ends up being your probably your closing lineup. Uh, I, I think that that's going to be something that we see Portland do quite a bit. And depending on how things are going, depending on foul trouble health, all those kind of things, I could see a lot of three guard two you know quasi forwards. If they wanted to go dumb small, they could go a uh, Dame CJ Trent, uh, Derek Jones and Covington. And I, yep. I, you have three plus defenders who are pretty much switchable across the wings. The only way you're really going to get punished is if you've got an elite rim running floor stretching big and Anthony Davis or a cat or something like that, that could be problematic, mm-hmm. but against a lot of teams, they can go five out and put you in, in trouble. They, I mean, they, they can put you in jail basically on every single coverage uh, mm-hmm. offensively with a lineup like that. And I think that's a lot of where the versatility comes from. And If they wanted to add some true size with some mobility and, uh, and a little bit of strength, that's where I see them taking a flyer on a guy like Harry Giles. He, he's not going to do anything inside 12 feet. But physically, as a presence, if he's healthy, he's an elite finisher. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you're worried about a guy like Covington maybe not being able to handle somebody or being able to finish in traffic, that's where a guy like Giles or even a Collins, if he's healthy, if he's if he's willing to, to fight through contact, you can do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm with you as far as Rocco at the four. I, I think that's where you optimize him. You, you put it perfectly in the sense of he's not a stopper. Now he he's not a negative defender in that sense. Like if he gets put on LeBron, he's probably their best option to be honest. Mm. He, he's the only one with the size and length to really deal with a guy like that. But I mean, how many guys in the league are capable of that? You're just you're just trying to make him work harder. That's really all right. you're trying to do in that sense. Um, but I, I like him in that in that position because of what opposing teams will have to do to match that. What the Blazers have done in the mm. past in. It, a lot of times they've tried to match their opposition. And I think for the first time they can dictate how opponents have to play them because they've got so many different lineups they can go with. So when I look at all this, I sit here and go, okay, let's see what they do. And I wonder, do you think, because Portland, obviously they're at 14 guys now and they have not signed another ball handler. That to me, and just talking around, a lot of people are of the mind that, they're going to go with Anthony Simons as their third ball handler. That's going to be who they're going with. And, I, and I've talked to Ant this summer. I know he's been working with Darren Collison in the offseason with his primary goal basically being, I'm going to work as a playmaker. I know I can get to my spots and take a shot. Are you When you look at this team, are you comfortable with with, with Simons being that third guy if they, if they're, if they believe in him enough?
1: Um, I'm fine with it. Um, I think they can afford to take the flyer just because the two guards ahead of him are Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. So if if he doesn't have it, like you, you still can split the ball handling duties between those two, regardless. And again, you have a guy like Rodney Hood. Obviously, isn't like a true point guard or anything, but he can run a pick and roll for you if you need him to. Um, so I think they have enough. And in addition to that, you know, you can run the offense through Nurk in the high post. Um, Harry Giles, depending on how how much he plays, you know, he's a guy you can dump to in the high post run some split action or whatever you can find you that way. So you don't really need a traditional backup point guard in that regard because I mean, Portland has a lot of ways to get guys easier shots. If it's Dane running high pick and roll, the CJ running high pick and roll. If you're dumping it to two bigs, that can really pass the ball. Um, If you, if you run some kind of action, you have Rodney Hood operating as your secondary guy, he can beat a, he can beat a bent defense and make basic passing reads that way. Mm -hmm. So I don't think. I don't think there's much risk in seeing what you have in Simon. and if he pops, then it's you just have many. a whole nother dynamic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Then that's kind of how I've looked at it now too. As and if, if anybody listening who's listened before, obviously everybody knows I'm I'm the, the leader of the ant colony. Um, I, I I definitely am seriously high on the kid. Um, I, I think he's got elite shot creation tools. If he does hit, it's it's a massive boon for Portland. If you look at who they've now got as that second tier that second generation of players they've got their in prime players they've got their dame their cj their Nurkic, uh they're robert covington their rodney hood now you've got 21 year old anthony simons 20 year old or 21 year old gary trent jr 23 year old zach collins 23 year old Derek jones jr there is a uh, 20 what 22 year old harry giles there is a entire mm-hmm. lineup behind these guys of 21 to 23 year olds that not only bodes well for your franchise going forward, if we've already seen Gary Trent Jr. pop. I I, I mean, he's just, to me, he's a starting caliber too already. Mm -hmm. He just got CJ McCollum in front of him. I think that's kind of where we're sitting in that regard. If anybody else hits, you've got guys that can contribute obviously on on rookie scale deals or on lower tier deals. Beyond that, those become viable trade chips if you're looking at it from that. So it's, again, it's that whole found money perspective. So it kind of you started to talk about Harry Giles a little bit and he's the most recent addition and we'll we'll get to uh Cantor and 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 Mello. We've already kind of seen, well, not kind of, we've seen what they can do in Portland. So we, we know who they are. Cantor coming back and obviously Mello coming back. Uh, when you look at a Harry Giles outside of his injuries, which I mean that's not a small thing, mm-hmm. what do you like about him uh and his fit in Portland?
1: Um the big thing for Giles for me is his passing ability. Um uh, he's he's already one of the best passing bigs in the league. And that's just something you'd have to <laughs> you'd have to see uh, if you're just bored on league pass or if you're a Kings fan, you know the kind of passes he can make. Um yeah. short roll stuff, dump to him in the high post, ridiculous pocket passer, great at finding cutters. So I think if you get him into all that space that Portland provides with their ball handlers, j- they're just gonna he's gonna find guys. And I think that's gonna be ready made offense right there. Um love that um the injuries have hindered his athleticism a bit. Um, He was a freaking terror back in high school, which, I mean, that sounds funny now, but I mean, he was a legit athletic freak and those knee injuries have sapped some of that, but he's still a plus athlete. So he's a guy that can run the floor after misses um, has the ball skills to grab, grab a defense rebound and push it if he has to. So I think he's going to juice up that attack a little bit.
0: You you hit it on something there that I was hoping you would and That's the whole idea of his ability to grab and go. Portland hasn't had a guy Mm -hmm. like that. I'm trying to think ever it's It's one of those things where they they have not had a guy who's been a plus rebounder who can just grab it and go and and be that guy in the open mm-hmm. floor to either lead the initial break and and get out and get the early transition opportunities or to get them into, you know those 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 second tier breaks, um those extra opportunities in in the secondary transition where a bent defense because of switches because a six ten guy is now grabbing gone down the floor. A defense is put in rotation like you wouldn't believe. You've got your, oh, your one or your two typically back early, now on a 6'10 guy, and you're in mismatch opportunities. And you've got Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Gary Trent Jr. coming and trailing in transition. <laughs> good good <laughs> luck uh, yeah, trying no. to figure that out. Do you look at him as a guy that should probably get a, a steady dose of minutes to see what he's got in him? Or do you see him more as a break glass in case of emergency big?
1: Okay. Uh, so before I answer, is this what I think is going to happen or what I think should happen? Let's, let's do, Actually, let's do both. Okay. What I think is going to happen is that he's going to be the break glass in case of emergency guy <laughs> or just the, hey, we uh, this is a shortened season with a little bit of a shortened break, and we want to give a guy a night off for a limited minute, so we're going to let Harry Giles run free against the Cleveland Cavaliers or whatever. Um, I think that's going to be his, his realistic role. If it were up to me, um, I probably wouldn't have acquired E.S. Cantor. I would just give Harry Giles those those minutes, those whatever, 14, 16 minutes, see what you have in him. Um I don't think if the de- I mean the defense is probably a little bit better than Cantor's, which isn't saying much. <laughs> <laughs> but there's again, levels. Just, yeah, there <laughs> are like he he is a bad defender. So I mean that that has to be that has to be noted. But again, he just has a level of skill offensively that I think is worth exploring, especially since now he's going to be in a super spread floor that he just mm-hmm. didn't have in Sacramento. And I, I just, I would just want to see what he could do playing, playing with Dane, playing with CJ in those lineups, just letting him feast in short roll opportunities or letting him pick out cutters. Like I think seeing what he could do if he stays healthy, I think that would have been a high priority for me. When I look at, at, And Giles, I think
0: he I think you're right in the sense that I think he's not going to be quite the human victory cigar, but I think he's (laughs) going to be a a guy who in certain opportunities, especially if Collins is out to start the season, if Mm -hmm. he shows early on that he's a viable option, Portland could easily turn the minutes that maybe Cantor was expected to get into minutes that Harry Giles gets. And the only reason I say that is because Mm -hmm. when they initially acquired Cantor a year and a half ago, whatever it turned out to be, uh, when they got him in the buyout market, they got him to switch to Portland. I I know he was going somewhere else. Basically by saying, you get 20 minutes a night. Hands down, this is happening. This is how you, Mm -hmm. if you come here, we will guarantee you playing time. That's not the case this time. Cantor was put in Mm -hmm. a deal to clear space so Boston could do a few things. And Cantor was given two options. You can go to Portland or you can go to Memphis. So he goes to a place he's familiar with. But I don't think that came with the same strings attached Mm. as it did last time in that here's your guaranteed minutes. So while he is getting $5 million, that's something he opted into and was put into You know, when he came to Portland. They absorbed him with their TPE that they created from the the Bazemore for Ariza trade. So it wasn't like... Mm they were stocking up on a guy and they particularly targeted him. And there's obviously a mutual relationship there, but I think that they're a little bit right. different in that sense that, Hey, why not get an asset when you can like getting a guy that, you know, right. can be your backup center could be a, a big deal. But I think if you're Portland, because you have so many bodies, they're in a position to take a little bit of a flyer here. And if NS Cantor isn't happy about it, you know, you can kind of throw your hands up and be like, listen, bud, we got three other centers we can put behind. Like, you just go with it, Buttercup. You know, it's, it's one of those situations where I think you can see it in the, in the right lineup or in the right mindset where I don't think it's going to be a cut and dry, you get 20. And I think in this respect, like, mm. you might see a night because Nurk is coming off a devastating injury. Uh, and while he looked phenomenal in the bubble, he was definitely gassed by the end of the playoffs yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's going to be a game every other night so you've got 72 games and i think it's 116 days if i remember doing the math that's a game every one and a half days or 1.6 however you want to do the math mm-hmm. that's a lot of basketball in a little bit of time so there might be a night when nurk gets a night off and Cantor gets a start and now harry giles is your backup big your backup right. five and I think it's going to kind of walk that line versus what you think is going to happen versus what you want to happen. And I think that's probably the sweet spot. I could be totally wrong, but I think that that's kind of where it ends up in that Giles is a guy because of his plus playmaking and his athletic profile, the Blazers need to take a look at that. Yeah. And if they can get his body right, let's just, let's just go on history. How many guys have left Sacramento and been better Yes. <laughs> so like I'm I'm of the optimal standpoint, unless you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, if a player leaves Sacramento, they will become incrementally better to much better.
1: Mm.
0: Depending on the situation that they go to.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: So I I think I think you and I can both be rightfully hopeful that Giles will get more than just that occasional burst at least i hope so and that's that that's that's my hope but terry Stotts is also a guy that leans on veterans pretty heavy so yeah. one hand in the other <laughs> yeah, I, I know i know speaking of veterans i'm gonna get to it now screw it the blazers brought back carmelo anthony and yeah, among did. these glut this glut of bigs i have had a large amount of people who i have asked just in the comments on twitter this is your general blazers fan who do you think is going to start at the four And I bet you if I ran a poll, Mello would win a straw poll. Yes, yes, drop your head. Yes, drop your head. Exactly. Make this make sense for me. Please, I'm begging you. Or be on my side. I don't care. Just give me something here. When you look at (laughs) Carmelo Anthony coming back on a a vet minimum deal, what is Mm -hmm. the role? Let's play this game again. What do you think will happen?
1: And what do you want to happen? Ooh. Um, well, we don't know what's going on with Zach Collins. So within that lens, what I think is going to happen is that Mellow is basically going to be penciled in as your backup four. Okay. Is what is what I think is going to happen. Um, and just on Mellow in particular, um, I was one of the people that laughed very, very loudly at Portland Pick and Mellow when, when it first happened. Um, I think mean, me too. He did. Yeah, he, he did play a lot better than I expected. And I think it's fair to acknowledge that. What I think has happened, because, you know, Melo is, I mean, he's a good dude. He's a future Hall of Famer, all the positive stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever. What I think has happened in general is that Melo has been better than expected, has been conflated with Melo was good. Yes. And those two, that's not mutually exclusive, I don't yep. think. So Melo was better than expected. He was still a net negative for Portland last year. And I think it's important to acknowledge that fact. Saying that, I do think he's gonna have a role just because he still can shoot. He still can do the jab step stuff as annoying as it can be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're looking at those hybrid second units when it is one of Dame or CJ on the floor, you are going to want an end of shot clock guy. And I think Melo can still fill that role for you. You know, you don't want one of those guys creating literally everything. Mm So there's gonna be a place for Melo in the rotation. It's just important to note that, hey, he can still do this. Doesn't mean, hey, he still does this at a, at a high level because he doesn't.
0: The the thing that I wanna highlight because everybody wants to get on me because I, I, I bashed the signing. I didn't like it. I, I didn't like the idea of him getting so many shots. And again, Melo the dude, I love. I don't think anybody, if you have a problem with Melo the dude, I kind of question your mentality. Because Mello, the dude, is a, is a wholesome, good, fun, amazing guy. Everybody, I've never heard a negative thing from anybody in the locker room, anybody who's ever covered him. He's, he's, he's the anti-Russell Westbrook. Everybody loves him. <laughs> when you look at Mello, the player, there's two different versions of him. There's Mello who thinks he's still in New York, and I can take 16 shots a night and work in the mid-post and try to finish over guys when I don't have the legs anymore. That guy I want to shoot into the sun the catch and shoot mellow who shot what 44% from three for the blazers. Yeah. That guy, I all will take mm. the guy who can create with six seconds on the shot clock and get his shot off on that two dribble drive down the, down the, 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 foul line and get to that little baseline fadeaway. I will take that guy, but I don't want that as even the second or third option. When I look at the, the, the box score, at the end of the season, I don't want to see him in the top five in field goal attempts. I want it to be Dame, <laughs> CJ, Gary, Nurk, Covington. If you want, if you want to put hood over Covington, that's fine. Right. But those are the guys I want getting the volume shots. Those are the guys night in and night out. Covington, I, you know, everybody right. goes, well, he's a, he's a 36% three-point shooter. He's 36% on seven attempts a night. That's,
1: like that's, those seven attempts are a guy has a hand in his face yes. type deal. So it's the quality of the threes is that he's taken a lot of tough threes.
0: Yes, exactly. And I I want Covington to be that guy more so because of a defensive utility than I want it to be Carmelo Anthony. Now that's not to say there's not a spot right. for him, but as I sat down last night to kind of go through the minutes, and this was before they added Harry Giles It was very difficult for me to find minutes for him. Now, if Zach Collins isn't in the rotation to start the season, clearly that makes things a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. But you can't put Melo at the three. We are long, long, long past that. Now, he went there last season in the playoffs. Somebody in the comments is going to get irritable about this. He was at the three starting in the playoffs because of a promise that was made to him about playing time. Period. Point blank. Get over it. He was not, and should not be starting in the NBA playoffs. Not at this point in his career. Yes, that doesn't change the fact that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It doesn't change anything he's done in the past. Where he's at now, he's not that guy. Yeah. So, but you look at the minutes distribution at the three and the four. Number one, he's not sliding down to the three. So now he's only getting minutes at the four. Maybe you do some weird stuff and you put Carmelo as a small ball five. Which, if you're not, if you're if you're dealing with a team that's running a guy who's not, oh, they're not, not running a ton of rim, th- uh, rim threats and you're going f- five out, sure, okay, for two, three minutes, whatever. He's mm-hmm. he's at least a decent enough rebounder and he wants to play drop coverage anyways because he doesn't want to cover anybody out there. <laughs> so in that respect, okay, whatever. If you want to get weird for a, for a few minutes, fine. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing I've ever seen them not do. But when you look at the minutes distribution, you're going to get... Dame and CJ are at the one and two, almost exclusively. Mm. Gary Trent Jr. is two, maybe three sometimes. But if CJ's mm. on the floor 34 minutes a night, that leaves 16 to 18 minutes for Gary Trent Jr. at the two. Do you think Gary Trent Jr. is only going to play the two and only going to play 18 minutes this year?
1: No. Hope not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's not. So he's going to have to slide up to the three. What does that mean? Well, if Rodney or Rodney, if, excuse me, yeah, no, if Rodney Hood is your starting three and he's playing 24 to 28 a night and Covington's playing probably 30 to 34 a night, how many minutes does that leave left if Covington gets 20 minutes at the four and 12 at the three and Hood's getting 20 ish minutes at the three and you still got to work Derek Jones Jr. in at the three? Mm hmm. So who gets the squeeze here? The guy you just gave $10 million to in the MLE in Derek Jones Jr. The rookie scale big in Zach Collins when he comes back healthy, who you need to understand what he's going to be going forward. The guy you just traded two draft picks for and you want to be your primary defensive you know, leader in Robert Covington or Carmelo Anthony, who is the guy that's on the outside looking in here when you're talking about minutes distribution. Should be Melo. (laughs) (laughs) It should be, but come the first week of the season, I'm going to see Melo playing 28 minutes a night and I'm going to lose my mind, man. (laughs) It's just one of those things. So let's, let's take a look at the entirety of Portland here real quick. And we'll kind of wrap on this to everybody that gave in questions. I'm sorry. I stole your questions and I didn't really throw your name in there just because there were so many. And I just kind of tied them all together to get Nick overall uh, 30,000 foot view on everybody else, not named Derrick Jones Jr. here. So everybody that gave that submitted questions, thank you. I'll be sure to kind of tag them in the notes, but when you look at this team right now, and I, we kind of hinted at it earlier, as far as it being a top four team in the West, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty easy to lay out th- the top three, both LA teams and Denver. And I think there might be a line there of the next tier mm-hmm. Dallas. I really like what they did with the swap of Curry for Richardson. A defensive stopper mm. that that can alleviate some pressure from uh luca you know on on multiple levels obviously they have to deal with uh christophe's injury but i it's hard for me to go away from that team when you've got luca who's a no doubt mvp candidate mm. he, he's a top three mvp candidate um when the season starts which is insane to say with steph basically coming back and katie in brooklyn it's I still look at Luka and go, yeah, no, that's the next generation of the NBA after what he did last yeah. season. Do you think Portland has done enough to be not just a contender in the sense of, yeah, they can maybe make some noise. Do you think they have loaded up enough to make a Western conference finals
1: run? Uh, There's no I, right answer here. Yeah, I got you. Uh I am going to lean no right now, and it's less about Portland because they have had a good offseason. Um, they obviously have a super-duper star in Damian Lillard who will always give you a chance just because of the things that you can do with the ball. But it's more about the rest of the West. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lakers have improved. Um, the Clippers are on the cusp of improving. Um, so i got Montrez Harold for Serge Ibaka. I think it's huge. If yes. is healthy, swapping him out for Landry Shamit, even though I like Landry Shamit, I think that's big for them. Um, they're probably another, I guess, a point guard signing away from me really being in on their offseason. Uh, if they bring Reggie Jackson back, sure. I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, you mentioned Dallas. Um, I don't know how early it is, but I'm really digging Phoenix right now. Jay
0: Crowder and Chris Paul is a pretty decent off season.
1: (laughs) Like that's that they, they have really improved. I Um, mean, obviously
0: they lose Oubre, which I don't think is, is a small knock. He definitely gives them a lot of, uh, number one, beauty. It's a handsome man, (laughs) but shot creation, finishing, transition, flexibility within the lineup. Uh, If you're if you're talking about two K sliders, if you slide it more to the offensive end, you get Kelly Oubre. You slide it more to the defensive end, you get Jay Crowder, and I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of what they opted for. Uh, But the the floor that they have with a Chris Paul Devin Booker backcourt is pretty absurd in my mind. Yeah, Um, you have maybe three of the best backcourts we've seen in this generation in the west now between well actually i have to roll that back with clay's injury which that sucks i keep forgetting that you know he's got a torn achilles now um but i mean chris paul devin booker is a backcourt at least on paper and at least in my mind that is very much on par with dame and cj Mm -hmm. now maybe not quite the scoring as chris paul hasn't been that guy but as far as playmaking uh as far as putting pressure on a defense mm-hmm. alleviating the workload of devin booker and having premier shooting and chris paul doesn't get near the credit he should uh for being the shooter that he is
1: yeah, he's one of the best shooters ever yes like period just the the difficulty of i mean great spot-up shooter but like just the difficulty of his pull-ups from his side at his size the different angles that he launches those shots at. He's an all-time shooter, and he doesn't get enough credit for that.
0: They need to rename the elbows the Chris Pauls. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He has burned a hole, in <laughs> especially that right-hand elbow from his left-to-right crossover pull-up. Yeah. Um, and I believe – last time I looked, I think his career was 54% from that spot, which for anybody who doesn't understand, 50% from any mid-range spot is absolutely bonkers – uh, mm-hmm. over a 15-year career that's insane <laughs> just so <laughs> right. we're clear yeah. um, but do you think portland's in the conversation i mean you, you said no as far as a western conference finals right now and it's not a knock against them what would they have to do in your mind for them to be because everybody says contender when i say contender i mean uh, a conference finals contender, mm-hmm. and not showing up and getting waxed like they did in eighteen nineteen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But like, you go in there with a, maybe not a coin toss, but at least a puncher's chance. Right. What do they
1: need to do to get to that level, in your opinion, or is it viable? Um, I think they're kind of in that tier of if the seating breaks right, I can see it type deal. With the Lakers, it's they can make the Western Conference. They should be in the Western Conference Finals. With the Clivers, they should be in the Western Conference Finals. With Portland, I'm looking at them more as they're good, they're deep. If the seating breaks right, if they don't face X team in the second round, they can get there. So I think I need to see. I mean it's cliche, but I need to see it. Mm-hmm. I need to see it defensively in particular because they did make wing additions. But at the end of the day, you still can kind of hunt CJ McCollum at the end of games. Um, Less so Dame, because Dame really fights for it. But I mean, just from a size perspective, he is a guy that you can just put in a bunch of screen actions and kind of tire him out and trap him on the other end and make other guys beat you. So I think with them having a small backcourt as they do, you always, as the other team, have a built-in attack point. So it's just going to be up to seeing, is the Gary Trent thing real? I think it is. But just in general, is that real? Um, how much of an impact is Robert Covington going to have? You know, he's been one of the best health defenders in the NBA for a long time.
0: Um, there's a reason he got an all NBA tag.
1: Right, right, right. So just seeing how that comes together defensively, again, they can go more aggressive on the defensive end, but if they do so, this is going to be the first year that they've tried to do that. So there's going to be some trial and error there as well. Um, we Which we're Derek. we're in support
0: of here. We we want things to get a little bit weird. <laughs> right. I've,
1: I've right, been watching right. the same thing ever since Lamarcus left.
0: i am basically watching the same iteration of this team. So for them to to add some athleticism, to add some some new dynamics, I am one hundred percent here for something new and different.
1: All right. So that that's basically where I'm at with Portland right now. I think offensively, I mean, there isn't much to say. Once you Damian Lillard guarantees you a top ten offense, Damian Lillard plus C.J. McCollum basically guarantees you a top six offense. You know you know the system that Terry starts run with all the action and all the movement that they have in their offense. Um, Nurk short roll guy, post threat, can just maul dudes if you want them to. Like the offense is set, just need to see it defensively. If that does come together, then Portland can be dangerous because, again, with their offseason additions, with the young guys that they have in the bullpen, basically seeing what kind of internal growth they have, they have a lot of flexibility to do a lot of different things this year. And that's something we haven't been able to see from Portland in – a scary, very, long <laughs> time. So if the defense in particular comes together, then I think they can be a scary team.
0: I've seen some people, and I'll get you out of here on this. I've seen some people kind of compare this team to the 2015, 16 trailblazers that had Wes Matthews, Nick Batum, LaMarcus Aldridge, Robin Lopez, and a young Damian Lillard. Obviously offensively, they're vastly different from that team. But as far as the flexibility, the utility, the ability to, do different things. Um, what uh, in that era, I don't think LaMarcus Aldridge got nearly the respect that he should have defensively. Uh, he was an early era, big who was switching onto wings regularly and was a plus defender in that regard. They can do that now. I think with a, with a Covington, with a Derek Jones Jr. Uh, with a Harry Giles, even, even though he's again, like you said, he's lost some of that athleticism. Those guys don't scare me in a switch. Uh, if I'm Portland anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that that team before obviously West ruptured his Achilles was a no doubt Western conference finals team. I think that if, if you saw that team there, I think when they, when West went down, uh, they were on pace for 58 wins. They were, they were a good team. It wouldn't surprise me, but I'd say that this team is still, because they haven't shown it, like, like, like you said, they, they aren't quite there yet. So I mm-hmm. think I'm going to kind of in that same boat of show me what you got. <laughs> um, to, to kind of you know put it all together um, thank you for coming on I do appreciate what we get you out of here we've already had you on here for about an hour or so um, plug away man anything you've got coming up anything you're working on where can they find you um, follow you on Twitter everything Give it. we, we are uh, a plus promotion crowd here
1: <laughs> gotcha gotcha <laughs> well first you can follow me on Twitter at NikiasNBA N-E-K-I-A-S basketball takes puns um losing my mind over whatever the heck the Philadelphia Eagles are doing. They, <laughs> they hate me for whatever reason. I will always have 2017 because 2020 just it just isn't it. Um you can find my written work at basketballnews.com. A lot of great stuff going on over there. Um for me in particular, I'm going to have a winners and losers of the first weekend of free agency piece dropping. Um I mean we're recording on Sunday, they'll be up on Monday. So Uh, be checking my timeline check the site for that um but in general just follow me on twitter like i'm going to be riffing away on the free agency signs and things like that so awesome well thank you man and for everybody else who's
0: questioning whether or not to go follow nakaias He's, he's gonna have some insight he's gonna have some playbook breakdowns he's gonna have some stuff that's gonna make you a more knowledgeable basketball fan and thank you very much for joining us man we do appreciate it uh as always folks you can find me on social media at danny morang at d-a-n-n-y-m-a-r-a-n-g uh we will have an announcement about nbc sports northwest blazers outsiders coming out here in the couple, next couple of days i'm sure you can probably put two and two together and figure out what it is as the new season started and i'm still here uh Again, like, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, thank you to everybody who joined us for the Blazers Edge live show uh, on draft night and then going into free agency. Massive success. Uh, want to thank everybody that came by. Steve DeWald, Adrian uh, Nate Mann, everybody at Blazers Edge. Uh, we're going to do more of that coming out for this season. Uh, and again, thank you. Like, rate, review, subscribe. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, everywhere else you can want to find us. Until next week, take care, guys. Bye. No.